You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. Hi, I'm JR. Hello, I'm Lee. I'm Mark. And I'm Simon. And tonight we're going to be talking about, well, oh God, this is so terrible and my apologies for this because, oh, my memory is dreadful, but somebody, and I can't remember who, asked us to do an episode about our favourite Doctor Who stories. Does anybody know who it was who asked us to do that? Was Um, Was it Sookie? No, it may have been Mark Whiteley. I can't remember... I'm so sorry, whoever it was. Whoever but, it was, this episode is dedicated to you. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, uh, whoever you are, hey, you got your wish. So, you know, that's one happy thing. Even, even if, if we couldn't be asked to remember who you were. Yeah, or even look it up. But <laughs> I've been running around like a blue-arsed fly, so uh, that's my excuse for that. Um, well, before we dive in... Um, well, four emails, so we'll spread them out throughout the show, but this is from Chris Dykes, who's never written in before, so Hello, this Chris. is his first Hello. time emailer. He says, Hi guys, I am getting caught up on your podcast and I've reached number 10. I always start at the beginning. Ooh, While listening... That's not a good idea. Why? That's... <laughs> No, we well, listen to all the good ones before even he the gets good, to the even ones the where g- we've uh, Even the good podcasts the out there always sound a bit duff for the first few episodes, do you find? Well, he's reached number 10, so it can't be that bad going. Well, no, we're gradually finding our way, and then we hopefully we're getting better as we go on. Well, I think by the time we get to about number 20, we're probably actually <laughs> rather good. But by the time we get to about 25, <laughs> we've jumped the shark, and we're well on the downward spiral. <laughs> and by the time he gets to podcast number 50, we've really, had a he'll, probably be, he'll probably be looking for something else to listen to. <laughs> yeah, That's because yeah. we weren't in it. Mm. And by the time it gets to March 2015, he'll have reached podcast number 75, and he'll discover that we've read his email out. Bless. I was going to say, yeah, it's going to take him all that time to find out that we actually, yeah. Mm. Maybe he's listening to the new ones as they come, and he's going back through the old ones from the beginning. Mm, It's like the podcast equivalent of River Song. Well, he says, and you've obviously seen his email, Mark, while listening, you mentioned River Song, and I thought I should chime in that she seemed to be a non-linear character, meaning that she didn't meet the Doctor in reverse order. She was more of an in-and-out sort of girl, in which she comes in and out of the Doctor's timeline at various points. These points of congruency don't correspond with her own timeline, which is why she refers to the journal or the diary and asks, has this happened? The first time the Doctor meets her. By the way, you guys are great. Cheers, Chris. The true Celt. Apparently he's American, Scotch, Irish, which makes him... Well, yeah, I was going to say, which makes him a very peculiar kind of whiskey. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, which is all fair enough. But I think when we talk about River Song, I think the point I make is that Stephen Moffat, in spite of the fact that they are supposedly coming in and out of each other's timelines in random order, in order to make it work for the general public, really, you have to do it reverse. And that's pretty much what he did. Anyway, guys, should we uh, get on with our... Favourite stories. Mm. Mm, go on then. Yes. 
what I've done is I've taken a list of four stories from each of the four of us, which is rather nice, in which we each nominate two favourite classic stories, one favourite new series story, and also our least favourite story, because it didn't seem right to do favourites and not least favourites as well. This is true. Yes, So then indeed. I juggled them all up so that we can talk about them in random order, which should keep everybody interested, rather than just going through them chronologically. Yeah. It sounds like I a plan to me. Okay, first up, Mark, one of the stories you chose is you want to know a favorite one of your one of your favorite <laughs> classic stories was something from season fifteen. Would you like to tell us what it is and what it is about it that you like so much? It is the horror of Fang Rock. Yes, man. Go, Mark. <laughs> it's a classic. Um what was it you called it, JR? A Stonewall classic? Well, I didn't call that a Stonewall <laughs> classic. Well, oh, that's I know your what you're referring to, though. It's more I, of a rock I love than it. It's brilliant. The atmosphere of it is amazing. Um, it's a very bleak story. It's not exactly a happy ending. Um, it's the anti-Stephen Moffat. Yeah, I think. <laughs> and I'm, why would that looking be? at the ones I've chosen? They all seem to be the sort of spooky stories. I don't know what that says about me, but um, it was a close one between this and City of Death for me. Um, but yeah, this one just pipped it for me. There's some really great character moments in there. The cast is brilliant right the way across the board. And despite the fact they had to go off to, was it Birmingham or somewhere? Because they had a problem with the, yeah. the studio or strike or something. I don't know what it was. Um, it's brilliant. I can watch that over and over again. I never tire of it. Everybody else? Yeah, well, what can I, what can I say? Horror Fang, Fang Rock, if I can say it right, was the uh, instigator for my love of um, lighthouses because I've got a ridiculous, obs- obscene obsession with lighthouses. <laughs> and and I, in fact, you wrote all about that in You and Who, didn't you? In your book, mate. Yes, I did. Mm. Um, yeah, obviously connected with the Pescatons as well. But yes, definitely that was a, a massive, major factor. So I, I, I adore it. I love it. And I think what's clever about it and um, is that it could have easily run out of steam because it was just a few lighthouse keepers, but they had a lovely shipwreck happen, so you have mm-hmm. more characters coming halfway through and a little bit of a backstory of them as well. Um, yeah, no, very good. And the sets were astounding. Yeah. I found it a little bit too Terence Dicks, which is why I don't <laughs> rank it as among the absolute classics. There's something just, to my mind, there's something just a little bit too cosy about Terence Dicks. But having said that, brilliant acting, brilliant dialogue, brilliant direction from Paddy Russell. And yeah, it's it's one of the last truly atmospheric Doctor Who stories. It's a bit of a hangover from the previous regime, isn't it? Because you've got, uh, it's a very sort of Holmesian story. Mm. Mm. Simon, what do you think of Horror of Van Rock? It's it's also um, a kind of base under siege, isn't it? What's quite interesting about it is that it's a very isolated... You know, the, all the episodes happen within a lighthouse, and um, that's quite an achievement, really. I think. I mean, it, it is a twist on the base under siege thing, but it's—I don't think you can get closer to a real, uh, typical horror, old-style horror story within Doctor Who. Well, it's a contained so, horror, isn't it? Yeah. It's, yeah here's right. an isolated location. Let's contain the horror, and you know, on a small television budget. That is one of the most effective ways you can use your money. 
And what's the saying? Um, it's, they use it in filmic terms. You said it a few times where you see the kind of gun on the wall in the first episode and then you use it in the fourth episode. There's a, a particular word for that. Oh, yeah, right. that's, um, who do you mean, what's it, what do you call it? Schrodinger's cat. <laughs> <laughs> I knew Mark was going to say that. No, it's not Schrodinger's cat. <laughs> it's, um, yeah. oh, God, cat, my brain's cat, gone cat with completely a, uh, blank. A cat with a knife in a box. No, um, no. Yes, but if you show something in the first act, so yeah. you can use it in the third yeah. act, yes. Yeah, yeah, to solve the problem. Obviously, the lighthouse was it, and that I thought that was very funny and very clever, because it was the lighthouse that kind of saved the day, um, using the light. To destroy the Rutons. And would Rutons? You, Rutons. Would you say, Lee, that the Rutons are due for a comeback? Shh. Let's say about that. Shh. Okay. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's something we talk about quite a lot. Yeah, I think they're just a great um, monster race that have been kind of not used well enough. Uh, but, uh, yeah, lots of ideas in the bag. <sighs> it's, well, Simon, <laughs> your your nomination the first nomination we're coming to for you from the classic series mm. is from season eight john pertwee and it's terror of the autons which won't terror of the autons autons did you see earlier that i got a letter from the bank um there are two, there's a very well-known bank that's just suddenly split off into two and unfortunately i've been selected as one of the bank accounts that goes with the smaller company Therefore, now I've had a letter from the bank asking me to travel 10 miles to my nearest branch. And the guy who wants to give me an interview is called John Orton. Ooh, is he called Orton or Orton? Orton. Spell it. A-U-T-O-N. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I used to deliver Joe to Orton. somebody whose surname was Axon. A-X-O-N. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. If you, you, if you go into the office and there's a big sort of... Uh, black shiny chair don't sit in it <laughs> <laughs> were you going to get some more plastic Simon no sorry oh, yeah yeah it's my plastic anyway um, Terror of the Autons I've said this before and I, I've written about it in um, Contact Has Been Made mm. at all good book, bookshops on the net in particular Milk Publishing um, that I just think it's the closest thing you can get to one of the old style annual stories or even a comic strip mm. in visual form mm. because it's it's kind of just kids adventure riff again and again and again and I, I just think if you're going to throw everything together into a Doctor adventure story you've got everything in there you've got a, a brilliant alien you, um, doing things like you know making plastic come alive and uh, people getting squashed inside chairs and dolls coming alive that creepy doll <laughs> yeah creepy doll and uh, the master, in his best guise, let's face it. I mean, his most um, ooh, beguiling. Know. Yeah, yeah. Just a real character. And it's just, it just oozes personality. And I always go on about the Time Lords in bowler hats. I know the purists hate that. But I, I think that's great. I love the idea that this old race, who basically have the ability to do what the hell they like, are going to do something like that. They're going to be quirky. They're all a bit odd. They're going to get it slightly wrong. Yeah, and and it kind of the time laws, as we all know, got a bit boring when they started getting all stuffy. And I love the idea that they would come along and just kind of appear a bit like Al in Quantum Leap and just appear there dressed in whatever they felt like wearing, you know, like a Hawaiian shirt or something like that. Because they would, <laughs> let's face it. And if they've, you know, a few of them will have the same fascination with Earth as the Doctor does. And um, I, I just love it. I just think it oozes colour. 
Yeah, I want to see a Time Lord in a Hawaiian shirt now. <laughs> I don't think we really need to see that. <laughs> no, I think we've seen enough Hawaiian shirts in Doctor Who, don't you? Hey, I own a oh, Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> are we? Are we all agreed on Terror of the Autons? Oh yes, it's <laughs> very, very high up there, isn't it? Definitely, it's, it's good got, for a um, I, I particularly remember reading. I suppose you all do, really, is the uh, the Target book with the uh, drawings, the illustrations inside. Mm-hmm. And they kind of haunted me, actually. <laughs> But there's that, there's that cover picture that I've said about before as well, the one yeah. with the eye. Um, what a shame it didn't look like that in the series, hey? Yeah. So so that disappointment at the end still doesn't knock it down from being the best or, or one of your all-time favourites then? No, no, not no. at all. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Right, Lee, we're going to change the pace slightly now. Yeah. And the story you picked as your least favourite. Jeez. The Seventh Doctor's debut. Time and the Rani, man. Oh, <laughs> gives me the chills just thinking about it. I, I, I can't stand it. I know we have to try and be a bit positive on the podcast because I mean, you know, yeah, it's easy to knock Doctor Who, and we nobody have... ever, nobody ever deliberately makes something bad. <laughs> Ooh. no, they didn't make it bad, did they? But they made it bad, didn't they? they didn't try to make just... it bad. No, they didn't try to make it. They tried to make it as good. I mean, you've got like effects which are, are quite good, where the bubbles bouncing around. That you know, a lot of thought was put into that effect. Um, you've got the idea of of the Rani and stuff. That, that's great. Um, but then there's nothing else really that I can see in it. That it just, I just every time I watch it, I just want to kick the telly in or I don't know, throw a trifle at the wall, something like that. But um, the only really good thing in it, I think, is. The TARDIS. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> wow, clutching at straws there. <laughs> I can't really say any more than that. I mean, the acting's terrible. Uh, Sylvester, as much as I love him now, I I couldn't bear him when he was in that, and I couldn't bear his... Ent- uh, he obviously didn't know what he was doing. He was very green to property reacting at that point. Um, and I just... He just didn't know where to go. There was no direction for him, bless him. He was just trying to find himself. Mel... <laughs> Again, not the greatest, and she had a sore throat. She, she, she couldn't even scream properly, and that's what she's famous for. The tea traps. What about uh, tea traps? Uh, tea traps. <laughs> the tea trays. <laughs> what about though? What about the Rani? What about Kate O'Mara's impersonation um, of of oh, uh, that is Bonnie Langford? That's well, great. I yeah. think, no, no. I, got, I mean, looking back as an adult, okay, we we look at these things in a, in a different light, and a few mates round with a few beers, and it becomes one of the best doctors you've ever seen, yeah, and that um, included that scene, I think. But um, at the time, it was yeah, embarrassing. But, but watching it now, it's hilarious. Oh, it's embarrassing. Come on. I think there's some. <laughs> I do think there's some really good things in it, though. The Tet Traps. I rather like the Tet Traps. Mm. That, they felt to me like a proper Doctor Who monster they, uh, in the a decade good on them, I when think. there were very few do- proper Doctor Who monsters. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, they are, and they are wobbly, and you can tell they're blokes in suits and um, running around, and they're great. Like the tongue. They're, 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 oh God! <laughs> yeah, I thought the tongue was so stupid. Anyway, the <laughs> the tongue was terrible, wasn't it? Oh. Please, it would have been better if it had come out the other side of Bonnie Langford's head, wouldn't it? <laughs> I think we ought to move on, don't you? Well, all I was going to say, can I just make a point? Go on, that? yeah, but, yeah, go on. Well, going back to that, my, my reaction to it, uh, I don't know, if does anyone else feel that your experience of it is still slightly tainted? I, I, It's kind of like when your sister comes home with a boyfriend after she's split up with one that you actually quite liked. 
and they come in, <laughs> with, and they come in with this new bloke, and you just don't want to like them because you're still kind of holding this little, yeah, this little. You're thing. holding a torch for the ex-boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah, I was holding a torch for Colin Baker. I even at that age, I thought it was completely out of order that he'd gone. Yeah, and I thought you were going to say even at that age, I thought he was really attractive bloke, <laughs> and I was disappointed <laughs> that they replaced him with somebody I didn't fancy. No, but you know, and and I really like Sylvester McCoy. I'd loved him in everything I'd seen him in before. I was a huge fan of things like Jigsaw. You know, I mean, kids' programs, yes. And I thought, yeah, okay, okay, I I want to get let him have a go. But the moment those credits came on, I just thought. No, I'm I'm not going to give you any slack. You've come in, you've redesigned the logo into something really appalling. <laughs> you've changed the credits into something really tacky. Oh yeah, the music was awful. And, and dated before they've even appeared on screen. And and I don't want to like it. And even now I still struggle with that. Mm. Um and I do wonder how much that still kind of taints the way people watch it. I mean, obviously a lot of long-time mm. Doctor Who fans do live in the past and they do st- hang on to these things I, yeah I, I agree not only I, is it a bad th- performance it's a bad script everything's bad about it that I, I just don't like it but you've also got all of that stigma hanging onto it about you know the way Colin Baker was treated and left so it was really hard it was a hard sell for the fans yeah, I think know? Simon hit a bit of a nail on the head there though yeah he said, I don't want to like it, implying that he came to it not <laughs> intending to enjoy it. Exactly. No, I'm just, I'm freely admitting that. And I do, part of doing this podcast is getting over that. Exactly how you say <laughs> that you try and take something positive away from every episode. And as I agree with you, I like the design of the Tetra. Um, but there was Bonnie Langford. There was so many elements in there that I absolutely detested. And I just want to say I'm looking forward to Simon talk about his least favourite one <laughs> and try and pick something positive out of it. I know. Can you guess what it is, Mark? <laughs> well, it's, it's not like he's banged on about it for about the last 70-odd episodes. <laughs> but we shan't reveal that before no, we get No, no, we there. don't want to spoil it, do we? No way. Spoilers. Shall we, shall we move on, then, to something a little bit more enjoyable? Yeah, so, JR, <laughs> what was your pick? Yeah, it's my turn, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, go on, then. And okay, we do. Uh, this will be the first one we've mentioned from the new series, then. But the one I've picked from the new series is my favourite. In spite of fierce competition from other stories from the same writer, but it's the girl in the fireplace. Mm. Gorgeous, good choice. Story. Yeah, and uh, but I'll tell you specifically why this one. I think because mm. Stephen Moffat, we all know what he does and what he does well, but also Stephen Moffat's often one for pushing the envelope of what Doctor Who ought to be. And not just in comedy, because he does sometimes in comedy too. I mean, for crying out loud, having a horse on the TARDIS, following the Doctor round. Brilliant comedy. But at the same time, this is a story in which the Doctor falls in love. And of course, it's a tragic love story because she dies and leaves him, you know, through death. And this is not the kind of stuff you normally get in Doctor Who. And it's also, I think, the first time the new series does this. And Mm. I don't think the classic series ever really did this. Certainly not in this way. But it's the way he meshes historical settings with the spaceship. Mm. And rather than make it two separate elements, like Eric Sayward may have done in Attack of the Cybermen and Resurrection of the Daleks, he integrates, integrates it all so perfectly that it feels, to me like the absolute quintessence of what Doctor Who ought to be. Science fiction, history, future, past, all meshed up into 
one big ball of hugely entertaining and yet at the same time emotionally affecting fun. It's really well balanced. The... Mm, yeah. yeah, interesting that you mentioned the res- resurrection of the Daleks, with uh, the fact that they transmat from Earth, which is a completely different feeling, gritty kind of London, and then you go into the spaceship, gleaming white, and it's a transmat beam. Very eighties, very <coughs> Doctor Who in the eighties, very boring kind of method of going from A to B. And Moffat has done, like you say, exactly the same thing, but he's thrown a, a time. Uh, paradox in with it and and the guy comes through a flipping fireplace each time it's so romantically done beautiful <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah oh yeah it's 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 doctor who's romantic comedy but it's kind of wonderfully doctor who is romantic comedy. i think it's got something for everyone because you've got that romantic element but you've also got some pretty memorable monsters in there mm. Mm. um so it, i think he does a great job of giving everyone something to enjoy from that story and it's one of the few stories where Stephen Moffat properly nails the pathos because sometimes mm. he's too flippant and then there'll occasionally be other times when he's kind of got too much emotion going on that it kind of becomes a bit sentimental the way Russell T Davis stories often would but in this one he absolutely nails the pitch perfectly mm. there, there are elements in that <clears throat> like I can kind of see why it works because there are, there are elements in there there's kind of a Narnia element where you've got this thing mm. of where the time is running slightly differently, um, you know, between the two, and they're hopping between the two worlds. Um, I it really reminds me of the city on the edge of uh, city on the edge of forever. Was it? Yeah, the Star Trek episode. Star Trek, yeah. You know, where Kirk goes back, and there's kind of this doorway that takes them back into another time, and Kirk falls in love with yeah. Joan Collins. Joan Collins, That's yeah, Edith it. Keeler, I think yeah. it is. Um, and he's got this, you know, the, this thing of where he can't save her her life because of what happens when she dies um not quite the same i know but it's that same feeling and and mm. and they resonate these stories um i think we all we're all we're all very time sensitive i think and and the thought of being able to go back in time and change things you're saying we're all thorals <laughs> <laughs> you certainly are not mark no, you've interrupted no, me while you're there then mark yes <laughs> not a million miles removed is your other favorite classic series story yeah ghost light well possibly Maggie? a slightly left field choice from lee's point of view by the sound of it hmm. um are you uh, sorry I, lee are you questioning yeah. the fact that he's chosen ghost light just... or the fact that i said it wasn't too dissimilar <laughs> from the girl in the fireplace <laughs> or both no uh, no i think mm, the the this is your all-time favourite, right? Well, no. one of his I mean, two all-time favourites. Two all-time yeah. favourites. So you know, above all the others. Bear in mind, your favourites will change on a daily basis. Yeah, if you Lee ask me the is... same question next week, I might give you two totally different stories yeah, for different And that is just so rude of you to question <laughs> whether his choice has any validity. <laughs> it's Sorry, Mark's Mark. choice. You let him choose it if he wants to. <laughs> yes, and I we shall. can all pity him afterwards when it's our turn to talk, but this is his hey, turn to talk. There's a lot of love no, for this story. It's not good saying that people's, really people's favourites change all the time, and I've just said that I'm still hankering for Colin Baker <laughs> from when <laughs> Sylvester McCoy took over. Seriously. Oh my anyway. god, I can't believe Brett's still going on about Colin Baker. <laughs> Mark, Colin Ghost Baker. Light. Yeah, I mean, there are obvious shortcomings when it comes down to the fact that they had to condense it down from a, a four part into a, a three part. Um, but despite all that, I think it really its another one that I'll just go back to and watch over and over again. The performances are great, the set is stunning. 
Um, and I think the the relationship between the Doctor and Ace at that point is sort of getting to that point where it's really starting to sort of sparkle on screen. Um, and I just I love it. I think it's a, an incredible story. So and a it's lot of levels to it as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yes, much as the girl in the fireplace has, yeah. and it kind of—it's a little bit like girl in the fireplace in that it's kind of got a historical, romantic, slightly odd and futuristic, all kind of mixed up into one slightly odd story that kind of sits apart from the rest of Doctor Who. Mm. It does I reckon if apart. you can make it as far as that's the way to the zoo, you'll love it. Yeah. If you absolutely. get bored by that point, then maybe not. No, it, it's lovely. It, it's like um, you've got a bit of Monty Python thrown in there as well and uh, a bit of um, Pyramids and Mars. And, and I mean, what's not to love? You've got a, a vicar who turns into an ape. You've got a, a policeman shoved in a drawer. It's awesome. Policeman oh, shoved in, in the soup. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Who in the soup? Well, who's in the soup? <laughs> exactly. No, but Not that, Doctor Who. He's not no. in the soup. I think no, what be. would have made this amazing, and I know this has gone off on a tangent a bit, but imagine that as a film, if it had been filmed like Spearhead from Space, you know, on film, um, how much more atmospheric that might be. And I think mm. that's the problem is that you want the atmosphere to be even better than it is. Uh, it's in a haunted house or a creepy house. You've got very odd characters. It's very off the wall. And I really like it, actually. It's, like, it's one of my favourites of us, McCoy's. But imagine it on film and with a bit more, you know, not possibly. Mm. Was it Marquez that did the music for that one? Yes. Yeah, it's yes, okay, it's but it's a bit twinkly. It's a bit kind of mid-80s synth. Could have been worse. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, imagine it like that. And then, yes, maybe I would have thrown it up a bit higher. But um, hmm. it's, I I've just got a soft always, spot for it. <clears throat> mm. I'm always saying this, though, but the production shortcomings of Doctor Who, especially on reduced budget, you have to kind of give that a pass because mm-hmm. there wasn't the money there. And, you know, Doctor Who just wasn't being made like that. And considering what they had to work with, what they achieved was brilliant, astonishing on that story. I think I'm right in saying they knew that 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 was the last story they were ever going to do. And they gave it their all. I don't think they knew at that point. They didn't find out till afterwards. Is that right? They probably had an inkling. Mm. Because the the, uh, dubbed-in voiceover at the end of Survival Mm -hmm. was added on after production had shut down. Right. So, you know, they'd uh, everything was pretty much locked by that point, Mm -hmm. and they added that in very late in the day as it sort of began to dawn on them that they weren't coming back the next year to record any more. Anyway, Lee, uh, before we go to another email and Mm -hmm. take a short break, uh, Mm -hmm. what would be your favourite classic series or one of your two favourite classic series choices? Um, Yeah, I think I'll I'll start with the Seeds of Doom. Seeds of Doom. Well, six episodes of Joy in my book. Uh, You've got two episodes at the beginning and then a further four. So it's split up already and you've got two kind of little separate stories. It plays in all of my kind of favourite horror films and um, sci-fi films of the of the black and white era, which they've completely stolen from, and I have no problem with that whatsoever. I think Tom Baker is on such a roll at this stage. He's fantastic. And Sarah Jane is on form. You've still got um, a bit of unit involved there. Um, and just the acting all the way through. Chase, I love Chase. I love the actor who plays Chase. He's just so dangerously mental. It's brilliant. Um, Scorby, again, a great actor um, who is just nothing but a 
you know, a piece of brute force with a bit of a brain, actually. He's not completely stupid. Um, and then his little minion who's always scared. You know, the, the whole thing is just brilliantly in, put together and so much fun. And it just rumbles along without without a breath to stop. And, um, I mean, yeah, it's been accused of being a little bit bloodthirsty with the mincing machine. But I've got to say, when I saw it as a kid... Um, I do remember seeing that bit as a kid. Either that was a repeat. I wasn't that scared about, uh, you know, I wasn't scared of it at all. It didn't give me nightmares or anything like that. And I read the book over and over again. It's the whole thing. I can't think of anything wrong with it. Um, oh, JR might. Wait, wait, wait. wait. <laughs> uh, th- th- this is obviously my personal view. But I judge also, because I had real problems with this, as you know, JR. I put up about 20 Tom Bakers and said, how am I supposed to choose between these? But mm-hmm. I think one of the things that won this over was the amount of times I've watched it, the amount of times I keep going back to it and I'm comfortable with it. I think I remember you saying once, you put something like this on, started watching it, and then you had to watch the rest of the season or you know, six in a row or something like that. And that's how I feel. You put it on and I can't walk away from it. I've got to watch it from start to finish. That's fair enough. Simon, mm. not heard from you for a little while. What do you think of the Seeds of Doom? It's certainly an iconic story, isn't it? Um based on earth like much of the pertwee um with that tom baker edge to it and you've got the as lee said you've got the dream team um when he said about a mincing machine though i kept thinking of c3po i'm not sure why (laughs) (laughs) i suppose one thing about this story is that it ought to feel like a john pertwee story and yet of course it doesn't because that sort of coziness that the john pertwee stories had during the sort of barry Letts unit era is long gone and so it's kind of it's set in it has the same sort of setting as a Pertwee story but it also has this kind of edge of danger that those stories didn't mm. necessarily always I have. can't remember now yeah. does he ever talk to Sarah Jane like she's a piece of crap because that would be very Pertwee-esque but <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, that, yeah. that iconic thing though of the of the um the the crinoid over the top of the house though I mean that's something that that sticks with you isn't it and that's an image that is always one of the iconic Doctor Who images. It is. It's brilliantly drawn on the front cover of the Target novel. And um, I like the body horror aspect of it as well. The fact that, it, that the crinoid is changing a, a human being into this large uh, animal. And then even at that stage, you think, OK, they're just, they just need to blast it out of the sky. It'd be fine. But no, it's going to have some seeds, which is the seeds of doom. It's going to just fling them around the earth and, you know, that'll be the end of the earth. It's a great tension kind of bit of writing, tense bit of writing. And then, of course, at the end of the story, they blow it up, which kind of does the uh, propagating of the seed pods. <laughs> you know, this is another one of those stories where when I read the Target book, having been so long since I'd seen it on TV, I was assuming that the creature in it was called the Crinoid. <laughs> yeah, I think we all did, actually. <laughs> right, let's go to another email. Um, uh, let's go. Oh, Jake Dinkle. I'm going with Dinkle this week, Mark. Not Dinkle. I'm sure that's... No, I'm not. I'm sure it's not right, but I'm going with Dinkle. He says, "Hey guys, hey, in Jake. regards, <clears throat> in regards to season six, I was recently having a conversation about places from the old series that we would like to see brought back in the new series. My mind immediately went to my favourite episode of season six, and maybe of all time, the land of fiction from the Mind Robber. I wanted to see what crazy and absurd things the current day writers could do with today's budget and special effects in the land of fiction." As I later looked back on this conversation, I started having doubts. The wacky wonder of this episode was created as much by the limitations of the budget and the absence of an actor as anything else. 
What say you, fine gentlemen? Well, very quickly then, and I know we did touch on this before, but there's no reason not to again. Do we think they could do a sort of sequel or sort of kind of a remake almost maybe of the mind? Take a similar idea to what the mind robber had and do it with today's budgets and today's writing and, you know, today's episode lengths and stuff. Would it, could it work? Mm, kind of touched on that kind of thing with Amy's Choice, didn't they, in a, in a way? Mm. Um, in that that didn't quite feel real and you had that changing. Um I, I, as you were reading it out, I was thinking exactly the same thing. It, it's all to do with less is more with that story. I mean, not just the white background, but the fact that it is all so odd. And, um, and I, I kind of feel like you'd have to do it the same way or completely different. Well, you know, I was thinking, because when we talked about this earlier, I said there's no no way you could do it on today's budgets, because as good as today's budgets were, you'd have to have a proper feature film budget to do the idea justice. But then you know what? I saw Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS, <laughs> and that's not a million miles away, is it? No. In terms of the imagery. Mm. I mean, you can... I mean, also, what's the other one? Uh, the Girl Who Waited um, feels s yeah. a little bit similar because of the kind of the whiteness of it all and the simplicity of it. Um, yeah, are you, I think you definitely could do it, actually, in 45 minutes. Uh, you would ne not necessarily need to have it in a blank, black room. I mean, the whole thing about the land of fiction is it could be the entire um, scene. So you just set it in a woods and Robin Hood turns up or something. Um the only problem you'd have is playing with Marvel characters. <laughs> Copyright-wise. Well, do you know what, though? If I was in charge of Doctor Who, I would do it. I'd yeah. say, to hell with it. Let's give it a go. Sequel. You know, not obvious. No, I don't think I'd do a sequel, but I would do something where the Doctor was... You know, a cross between the mind robber and episode three of The Deadly Assassin, oh, where the Doctor's lost yes. in some kind of fantasy place. Yes. And the story yeah. is about how he works out where he is, why he's there, and how he can get back out again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it probably oh, yeah, could a slightly not-quite-white horse with a, something stuck on its head. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you'd have to have a reference in there somewhere to episode three of The Chase, where he turns up in the uh, the exhibit, the Garner exhibit, with uh, Frankenstein and uh, Dracula and all that. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Um, okay, next one we're going to... Oh, it's back to me again. Oh, my least favourite story, The Edge of Destruction. Mm, really? well, not that I, Not that I especially dislike it, but I... It's one of those stories... You know what I'm always saying about nobody ever sets out to make a bad story. And the stories that I dislike, because obviously this had serious competition from some Eric Sayward stories, <laughs> it'd be my least favourite... But, I mean, my criteria is that in order to be able to enjoy Doctor Who, I have to feel there's something Doctor Who about it. And in this, the sort of first 40 minutes doesn't feel like Doctor Who. And then the resolution in the last 10 minutes, if the resolution had been good, if the resolution had been worthwhile and worth waiting for and had made sense of what happened in the first 40 minutes, I could have forgiven those first 40 minutes and accepted them as an attempt to do something slightly different. And I would have attempted the way the characters were behaving towards one another. And I would have said, yes, that was necessary to get to that resolution. But when you get to the resolution and it's merely that a spring's broken... And, you know, the TARDIS <laughs> did all this to them to alert them to the fact that the spring was broken. 
I just thought that was an unforgivable way to end what therefore doesn't feel remotely like it ought to be part of Doctor Who, and so that's why I've chosen The Edge of Destruction. Much as, I just have to quickly say before I finish, much as I actually enjoy watching it. Um, the spring breaking, I think, is actually a brilliant idea, and I like that because our life is like that. <laughs> you know, Simon was trying to fix up the uh, computer tonight. You know, the spring was broken. It didn't work properly. It's stuff like that. It's the, You get in the car yeah. and the spring breaks. You can't go anywhere or you have a bit of a weird ride and you break down on Dartmoor. You know, it's, I'd accept that I if like it wasn't that. for the fact that those first 40 minutes mm. are what leads up to that. You know, if you hadn't based those entire 40 minutes on the fact that there was a spring broken. I definitely agree with you that it was, it's a, it was a bit of a mistake to maybe air it too early. And it's a bit of a mess in structural terms and story terms. It's just playing with the format a bit. but And it was maybe too early to do that. But are you, would you really put that as your least favourite, say, you know, because you don't like Revelation of the Daleks, do you? Over Edge of Destruction, surely. No, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, I, going on here. I said before that this was my least favourite story, <laughs> so I thought I'd better be consistent. <laughs> I, think, I, I agree with everything you've said, and, and you know, I agree with the, as much with you saying that you really enjoy watching it because I really enjoy watching it. But why I would defend this over the story that I have chosen as what I think is the worst, and don't spoil it, Simon. Oh yeah, <laughs> no one yeah, would ever know. No one, no one would work it out. Um, is that this is charming, and I there's an element of naivety about it, and and I'll go on to this when I talk about the other one. Is that I think if there there are choices to be made and choices that can be made, and they make bad choices, that's when I find it hard to defend these these stories. But you know what? I think this is the one story with that cast that isn't charming. I think this is the one story that misses out on that charm. They do all act mm. out of character, and there's no really good reasoning no behind it. No good reason it. for them to do it. No. But the charm is is in the what, like you say, they're they're doing something different, and um, yeah, okay, it's sidestepping from the story itself. If I'm not immersed in the story and I'm not caring what's happening to the characters, then fair enough, that shows a weakness in the story, or or in the consistency of the program. But sidestepping that and thinking about what's going on and the fact that these were early days and they were trying something completely different, i that's what I find charming. Um, well, I just love to see the whole of that uh, TARDIS interior in all its glory. I think I can watch it just for that. Yeah. Sad yeah. fanboy that I am. Well, can somebody remind me, um, Did they? why did they turn all strange? Was that because they opened the doors to the Vortex or because the TARDIS no, was playing with them? No, it was because what? the TARDIS was trying to alert them to the fact that yeah. they had broken a spring. <laughs> <laughs> See what I mean? Laughing, though. I mean? It started out abstract by doing the melty clock thing and then by the end it just got a biro and wrote it on the console. Oh, I tell you what, yeah. the spring's broken. Why don't you take a pair of scissors and kill everybody in the room? <laughs> well, it could be the telepathic circuit spring. That's <laughs> it's early days for the TARDIS and the Doctor, you know. They're it was the uh, fast return Turn switch. switch yeah. This is not yeah. one that you fast return to, then, JR. The, yeah. No, I'm afraid it isn't. No. Not that I, like I say, though, I can put it on and enjoy it plenty. Yeah. I, yeah. Just, I just wouldn't choose to put it on, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I think it's um, a little folly, but uh, folly—that's yes. the word. It's an accident. It is an accident because, yeah, we will know the reasons. 
Do we? Well, that's fair <laughs> enough. But then when we get to your story and I say the same about that well, it's an and point to a million things that are in it that are brilliant <laughs> and the fact that it does make sense. <laughs> oh, I'm so looking forward to this. <laughs> right, let's move on, though. Don't go away, uh, folks. Simon, your favourite new series story. My favourite new series story is The Doctor's Wife. Despite the disappointment of Nightmare in Silver, separate the two, I just... My emotional response to that that program <clears throat> was um, streaks ahead of most of the others. I mean, it, it was a new experience getting emotionally involved with Doctor in the first place since it came out back. But that particular episode, um, yeah, I know it's Famonac, and I know that it's written basically to press all the buttons for all the long-term fans. But I don't care because it really works. It's beautifully written, beautifully shot. The cast are brilliant, and um, it just it's just well rounded and 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 works and um it kind of i don't think there's any other episode that talks to you as a doctor who fan in quite the same way even the celebratory ones even the, the five doctors or the three doctors it's all happening there on the screen but with the doctor's wife i feel there's a lot more going on underneath the bonnet as it were and um that's why i love it that does feel like uh it could have been an anniversary story if you say to run another doctor in there yeah it does yeah. have a bit of a special quality to it but i'm not sure the the emotional side of it do you really think that's the first time you hit an emotional high with the new doctor because well, there's, there's been no. tons of emotional highs oh yeah 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 but i'm saying that it it peaked with that because of how it not not it, it wasn't just the emotions in the story it was emotions of you as a doctor who fan and your I attachment see. to the series, yeah, yeah, and that's that's the difference. Yeah, um, the little boxes. Yeah, the little boxes are beautiful. Um, the mentioning the other time laws, the the mentioning that you know uh, the corsair has been a woman at some stage. I know it's all stuff that can just be thrown in there by any writer, but it was just magical, and it looked beautiful as well. And it could have gone also very very wrong having the TARDIS talking. Yeah, and they managed have. to write that beautifully. Mm, mm, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, to have Doctor Who fans accepting that the TARDIS has become human, that that could it's have a been bit. a very bad idea on paper. But he made it work. And speaking of things that were a bad idea on paper, <laughs> City of Death. my The first <laughs> of my two classic series choices. Well, yeah, when I say a bad idea on paper, what I mean is originally it was a story by David Fisher called A Gamble With Time mm. that was set in, I think, Monaco and was to do with gambling yeah. and stuff like that. And, of course, uh, Douglas Adams and Graham Williams completely rewrote it from scratch in about three days flat. They went to Paris completely on the hoof and filmed a load of stuff there. And, uh, you know, what should have been a real mess... In a season where there's nothing else, in spite of the fact that everything else tr tries to have a similar tone, nothing else quite hits the tone of this. And as you were mentioning before, uh, I think it was Simon or maybe it was Lee who mentioned Monty Python and here you've got mm -hmm. John Cleese. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's wonderful. And you know what? Uh, when I came to look at the sort of classic series stories and I had to choose two... And I'm thinking, well, it's going to be two so from Hinchcliffe and Holmes. But, you know, this one, it just it just edges them, doesn't it? It's mm -hmm. got such a sense of life about it. The, t the timing, comedy timing and the writing 
is second to none. I mean, if the whole of that season was as good as that, it would be looking at, you know, the best season ever, probably. It just is an amazing... It was up there, right at the top. It's one of my top five, and I just couldn't decide. Yeah. Um, it was it was yeah, one of yeah, my contenders. Definitely. Just so hard to choose. It's yeah, just, I it think... stands alone from anything else. From well, I think from the Tom Baker era. I think yeah. the, the quality of the cast, well, I the think fact they got to go to a great from... location. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah and they're holding the music. <laughs> it, Even Dudley yeah. outdoes himself on that one. <laughs> it's an element, right though, Mark, an element let... of, Oh, sorry. I was just going to say there's an element Look of winging it, isn't there? The fact that it did all happen haphazard. It has a natural flow to it because of that, and it has a natural exuberance. Um, and I tell you what else it does. There are things in there that don't make any sense whatsoever, in much the same way as there are things in Stephen Moffat's stories that don't make any sense whatsoever. But you put them all together, and there's a, such a sense of joy and of fun and of having a blast about it mm-hmm. that it doesn't really matter. And I think, I think that's the most influential story on... The Stephen Moffat era from the classic series. And I think, uh, you know, nine times out of ten, I think Stephen Moffat gets pretty close. Not always, maybe, but he gets pretty close. And, you know, I'm just so glad that, as an influence, it is City of Death rather than something like The Edge of Just... No, okay. Uh, Mark, <laughs> let's let's clear the floor for Mark, then. What's your least favourite new series story? God, I can't even bring myself to say the title. The Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe. Yeah. What an absolute okay. pile of cack. <laughs> <laughs> I watched Gosh. it on Christmas Day, and I haven't seen it since. Uh, I had it on my hard drive for mm. a good ten months, just sitting there, unwatched, and I deleted it off. What's what's wrong with uh, it, Mark? Uh, well, there's not That's much illegal, of a story. Uh, by the end of the story, there's no Widow. There's no wardrobe. Um, I suppose the Doctor is eventually the Doctor in the end, although he's the caretaker for half of it. Um, all very twee. Some of the effects were quite cool. I like the idea of the baubles on the Christmas trees and that sort of stuff, trying to be positive. But it was all something of nothing, really. You get to the end of the, the episode and you just think, is that it? The last 10 minutes felt just a bit too much like the worst of the Russell T. Davis stories, really. Mm. I thought yeah, that was the best cool. bit, actually. <laughs> well, the last 10 minutes? The bits with the, with the wood creatures and, you know, the mum turning no, up and I'm saving the day. No, I'm talking about... Do you mean that? I'm talking about the pilot coming back to his family. And oh, the God. Oh, mm. yeah, no. Pass me the bucket. That's so yeah, <laughs> it all got far too syrupy. In the same way that Russell T. Davis would sometimes do when he wasn't keeping an eye on himself. Yeah. What, Simon? I was going to say, isn't that quite um, Five Children and It? Where the the father's a pilot and they... Mm, yeah, I think that. it's probably based on the E. Nesbitt book and well, Narnia book. Well, and... based on Narnia, yeah, yeah, but it's so obvious. I think that's the thing. It's There's no subtlety to it. It's really obvious that the no. Doctor's doing all his... Uh, you know, all these. What's that thing he does at the start? It's really irritating. It's like a joke that goes on too long. Well, he's doing he's all got the, the crash helmet the on backwards, isn't he? Oh, is he saying, oh, it's cool? Everything's cool. Oh, everything's cool. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And it's just when he's like, showing the children the house. Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 It starts off really well, and then it, right, yeah, that's enough. Yep, yep. Okay. It veers off into sort of 
Willy Wonka, doesn't it, with the whole lemonade from a tap mm. and things like that. God, you miserable old man. I am a right yeah. miserable it's designed. <laughs> it's designed for five-year-olds, that one, isn't it, plainly. Um, I, I've got some little nephews it and nieces. It is CBB's Doctor they Who. They absolutely loved it because there was, no, there was no scariness in it. It was. It made perfect sense to them. It's a very easy story. To us lot, of course. <laughs> us miserable old Scrooges. I, it was a bit of a waste of Well, that's of the thing. Money, you compare it to the one from the year before and it's like... Well, Christmas totally. Carol was—I thought was yeah. amazing. I thought it was, I loved it was stunning. It was brilliant. Yeah, but that was the sort of grown-up Doctor Who Christmas yeah. story, and this was like the children's Doctor yeah. Who Christmas story. Yeah. I don't know. They, they, an old Christmas but. Carol was balanced quite well because you had the kids, uh, you know, in the wardrobe yeah. with the Doctor and talking about the shark and all that, mm. and that was mm. a really nice moment. With mm. this one, it wasn't balanced out well enough. You didn't have enough. What was it? What was it? Tension. Uh, you didn't have enough danger, maybe, and a criminal waste of Bill Bailey. Criminal waste of Bill Bailey. And a bell He's no actor, well. though, so what were you going to do apart from give him a little bit of comedy? Oh, he acts well in black books. Just get him to do that. <laughs> That's comedy, Lee. <laughs> it's still an acting job, that one. Mentioned Andrew Zani. JR, anything positive to say about it? About the Doctor, the Widow, yeah. and the Wardrobe. It's, uh, it's okay. It's just. Not really for us, no. I would say. I, I didn't I was, think it was. I didn't yeah. enjoy it the first time, and then I rewatched it. And when I rewatched it, my expectations were set to four years old, and I enjoyed it. Mm. Well, I, thanks I, to I, public I, pressure, we'll be able to watch it in the uh, complete series seven box set when it comes out. So, um, yes, I'll they've asked for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't have to watch it, Mark. No, you don't have to true. force yourself to. That's true. I've only I watched it when it was a drinks coaster or. I've only watched it when it was originally on. I, I've had, and I didn't. I didn't really dislike it. I was kind of nonplussed by it. It was like, all right, now I've got to wait for the new series. Yeah, but that's was, not that's not what you should feel when you watch Doctor Who. It isn't, and no, I've no. had no inclination to watch it again. Maybe yeah, I should. Exactly. Mind you, I don't think I've. And got I'm a copy well aware the very that the Christmas specials are something other when it comes to Doctor Who. I'm not expecting it to be like a regular episode of Doctor Who, but it was just it fell so below my expectations. It was just incredibly. Dull. Do you think, though, because it was on at Christmas and, uh, you know, I have a little theory that the Christmas specials, the expectations, because they're apart from the series, so you've got longer to wait for them, and you know that once you've had that one episode, then you've got another long time to wait till there'll be more episodes. Is somebody snickering? <laughs> Snicker, snacker. Yeah, we're, we're snickering about how bad it was. I think uh, the, the I got it out, you know. I got the Christmas Carol out, and I got the the witchery wardrobe, witchery wardrobe one uh, from the library. Okay, I work in the library, but I still got to pay for the bloody things. So I've got it out, and I watched the Christmas Carol, Scrooge. and I thought, great, that was that was brilliant. Started watching the the witchery wardrobe. Within five minutes, I went, oh god, I, no, and I just I gave it back. I didn't even watch it. I mean, yeah, I think I'm in agreement with Mark. It's one of the worst, I think, of the new series. For sure, mate. Mm. Even worse than Fear Her. I like Fear yeah. Her. <laughs> fear Her? <laughs> well, Lee does. That'll be a remake with me and Lee, won't it? Fear Her. Do you know the worst thing about Fear Her isn't the scribble or anything like that. It's the Olympics bit. It's the last bit of the yeah. year. That's what spoils it, mm. I think. I anyway, thought you were going to have a go at Chloe Webber there for a minute. Oh, I like little Chloe Webber. Chloe Webber. Right, let's move on. Um, Lee, what was your what was your other favourite classic series choice? Uh, it would be Spearhead from Space, I would say. 
Um, I, I think we're picking. It's funny that we're picking quite obvious ones, actually. Uh, well, I am anyway. Tom Baker, John Pertwee, but um, Spearhead from Space. It's got a quality to it that sets it apart from anything else Doctor Who's ever done. Plainly, probably it's on on film. So that makes a big difference. It's got an amazing classic monster introduction uh, with some of the best scenes ever crashing through windows waxwork dummies it's got the doctor john pertwee uh i think in, in one of his best performances i know it's a bit odd and it's his first go but i really liked his hair then i liked his performance um <laughs> well you know what i mean he turns before it gets my... really super bouffant well but by the time it gets to bouffant he looked just like my nan so it was a bit weird do you, do you know why he did that no according to um oh god what's the actress <laughs> called who played joe grant Katie, Katie, Manning. Manning. Katie Manning. According to her, she told him that he had a bald spot coming up. <laughs> Where'd you read so that? So his hair per- became increasingly bouffant. Pertweehaters.com. Oh, is that what you got I that love from? that. I can imagine his ego kicking in going, bouffanted up, bouffanted up. Um, no, Spare from Space is brilliant all over. I mean, it's strangely edited. There's some strange cutting going on. But I really like it. I like the fear in one of the... Uh, there's a guy that gets killed. He's got big thick lips and he's looking up at the camera and I can't remember who it's called I think he's a guy in the factory and uh, you know there are just so many really terrifying moments as well in it um, I'm just trying to think of anything bad about it but I can't even him singing in the shower with his tattoo on was brilliant <laughs> it is the best Pertwee series by far in my opinion yeah also I love that whole season so this yeah. was a great starter Have you? has Definitely. anyone watched the Blu-ray at all? Yes. No. Any good? It is, is it... beautiful. Is it? Is it benefits? much better than than the um, revisited VH, um, DVD? They show you uh, like a comparison on the screen. You can see a difference in the in the quality of the picture. I think there's been a lot of rumblings from people who've been very annoyed because it doesn't contain the same extras as the special edition. <laughs> no, but then the special edition doesn't contain the same extras as the Blu-ray. Yeah, I think it's just a lot of people were assuming it was going <clears> to be. This sort of high def version of the special edition. Does that not um, spoil the kind of enjoyment mark of watching it? Because do you remember in the dim and distant past when we used to watch Doctor Who and they were, I think Gerard would be able to give them the technical reason why they look like it, but they look like film. I think they were like transfers from America or something. Um, and uh, I kind of quite like the old William Hartnell's looking like films. And then they cleaned them up to make them look like what they would have done on Vid TV. Fire vid-fired and mm. the when they first came out there's this big backlash like well I don't want to look at it all nice and clean and sparkly I want the old tatty rubbish version <laughs> and, well it still um, has that filmic look does it? yeah that's the difference Lee this wasn't videotaped so it's <laughs> no. not been vid-fired to look like videotape no, I know, this is been, still film it's yeah. been cleaned up a lot though isn't it so I'm just wondering whether it's spoiled and in, and in theory there's more detail on the, on the original yeah sure film okay. so um at the end of the day, you have a choice whether you buy it or not, don't you? You know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, but I have to buy a Blu-ray first. It's in, well, it's interesting this this one, uh, series one to seven Blu-ray box set. Mm, I, yeah. I mean, I've I've I'm sure you've looked at the um, the up upscaled early uh, David Tennant story, isn't it? The next Doctor yeah. was upscale, wasn't it, on the Blu-ray? And um, you can tell, can't you, straight yeah. away? Um, so I don't really see the point in a funny way, apart from saying, "Oh, I've got it on Blu-ray." Yeah, but um, anyway, we shall see. We shall see. I don't think any any of us can afford that box set anyway, can we? No, certainly not. Mm. Hundred and thirty quid. Unless Joe wants to buy it for me for Christmas, he could do. Ah, ah, ah! Take that as a no, then. 
look, we'll t- do another email and then want to go just slightly backwards in time for Simon's next choice. Mm. But here's an email from Richard Hogarth. He says, hey, guys, hope you're all well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, just got a suffering. S- uh, I, d- I wanted to leave some feedback about the 8th Doctor podcast. I really felt that you guys, with really not much to comment on... Oh, no, he says, I really felt for you guys uh, with not much to comment on. You did such a great job, given your opinions of the movie, and I seriously can't wait to see how you handle the other Doctors. He needs to go through our back catalogue, because we've done <laughs> some already. He says, also just wanted to catch you up on my Doctor Who challenge to watch all the episodes before the 50th. Wow. I'm ne- Well, you're not going to like this. He says, I'm knee-deep in Tom Baker near the end of the Key to Time series and I'm starting to feel like him in the episode 2 cliffhanger of The Deadly Assassin, (laughs) wanting this to end. He is now officially my least favourite Doctor. No! That was very Darth Vader. (laughs) (laughs) I was shaking my fist at the same time. (laughs) He says, I just find his portrayal at the beginning refreshing and a breath of fresh air, Mm. but now it feels stale and tired. Like the Doctor himself, I'm starting to think that three or four years, then move on, is a great idea. Mm. While watching The Key to Time, he says, moving on slightly, I started to notice certain elements I wanted to bring up for you guys. During an interview for when Series 7 Part 1 started, Stephen Moffat explained one of his influences being Day of the Daleks for its timey-wimey story. But I find him more in tune with the Graham Williams era, the season-long arcs, Time Lord Companion, literature-based stories, and this just angered me even more to the Moff, especially after his comments made about the Doctor being a woman, uh, you know, when people were talking about um, whether the Doctor ought to be a woman, mm. and Stephen Moffat said, it's like having a man be the Queen. Well, says Richard, the last time I looked, the male equivalent of a Queen is a King. Dumbass. <laughs> then comes... <laughs> then comes In the your ti- face, Moffat. <laughs> <laughs> then comes Call the title of writer. the... Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Richard carries on. Then comes the da- the title of the special, Day of the Doctor. Does he do originality? <laughs> he even remade Blink into Angels Take Manhattan. I look forward to the day when he leaves and we can have some simple stories told really well instead of mind-numbing bollocks spread over the years. <laughs> That's when JR takes over, isn't it? Yeah. You heard it, you heard it here first. <laughs> yep. Yeah, all right. Anyway, that was... Uh, that was Richard Hogarth's Thank you, uh, Richard. response to our Eighth Doctor episode. <laughs> well, I salute his um, honesty. Yeah, his honesty. Um, to there, there is an element of it becoming the Tom Baker show, and if you, if you don't like that, mm. then you don't like that. I mean, the that. guy was there for seven years, and if you can watch him all in one go, like a lot of us did in the nineties on the B Sky B thing, it you do you get to that period. I had I was feeling the same. I was feeling a bit jaded. Um, in the Graham Williams era, and I was thinking, oh, okay, come on then, I want Peter Davison now. But that's because you're just overloading it. I think if you do it over seven years and mm. you're growing up with it, it's a completely different experience. So I think the problem he's got yeah. is that he's sat through so many Pertwees, it's just gradually worn him <laughs> down. And it's just, he's now got to this point, he just wants to pack it in. I was gonna and say, moving on. No, go on then, you were going to say. I was going to say it doesn't get any better than this. You've got the 80s next, mate. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> mm. Moving on. Uh, Mm. Simon, the mm. very story before Spearhead from Space was your next choice from the classic series. Yes, the War Games, as we, we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? 
Um, yeah. But what a way to end the, the black and white era of Doctor Who. What a way to end the Patrick Troughton era. Um, ten episodes of just... Oh, you just you just suck it all up and and enjoy every morsel of it. And, and as I say, I watched it in pretty much one go over one Saturday. Just borrowed the VHS off someone and watched the whole lot and didn't at any point feel that the whole thing lagged. I know it's not the way to watch it and you should by rights be watching it every week, but it just it just kept me enthralled. And I just know that if I'd watched it every week, I'd been itching for the next one. Um, and it's just imaginative, really well written, really well um what's the word constructed and and filmed yeah Yeah, Mm -hmm. the pace is brilliant um and i I just got nothing but good things to say and and that last episode you know with the the doctor's trial um Mm. what i do remember is watching that the first time and and there's that bit where the doctor gets away and you think oh will he get away will he get away and i couldn't believe i was actually kind of getting sucked into it like that I'd, i'd never had that a black and white story have that effect on me where i got that kind of absorbed in it so um you know, I, I actually wanted the Doctor to get away, um, and I wondered, oh, if he gets away, how the hell does he change into John Pertwee? And, and then, of course, he gets caught again. <laughs> it's <laughs> ten great episodes with John uh, John Pertwee, um, Patrick Trouting um, acting his socks off, mm. Jamie doing a great job, and I just, you know, it's got all of a. Uh, to me personally, it's one of my favourites again. It's in my top ten, mm. and. Um, it's got the wartime, it's got history, all that kind of stuff, very much me. And it's got this lovely, great science fiction twist mm. in it, which mm. is perfect. And do you know what? It, it, it rumbles along because it feels like a serial that's been written week by week. It probably was, actually, wasn't it, JR? Mm. Um, I think it pretty much was. Yeah. They were well, recording it only just slightly yeah. ahead of... Uh, mm. well, they were know, getting like, the scripts in as they were filming. Exactly. So it feels like they had to... Make a cliffhanger as you know, and, and write as quickly as possible, and and you know that's that's the freshness to it that you can feel the pace. Mm-hmm. They're they're kind of running, you know, trying running on ice almost. It's like, come, on, we've got to get this done, got to get this done. It feels like a Flash Gordon serial, but with a bit of brains. And from memory, I think the TV version was better than the book. For me, it's usually the other way around. Yeah, I think they know, put a lot of pressure on him to condense it down into a yeah, a yeah. much smaller novel. Yeah, the book, the target book, wasn't very good. No, no. Really. It was just from the script and cut down badly. That was a Malcolm Hulk, wasn't it? War Games? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, mm. I love the War Games. This was definitely in my short list, and it was really touch and go as to whether this was going to be one of my choices. Um, I think when you consider the pressure they were under at the time to, to put it together, they had a couple of stories that fell through, and they did an amazing job of getting it onto the screen, getting something that's really compelling to watch even all these years later it's a great swan song for patrick Troughton. it's one of my favorite tardis teams ever so to get mm. 10 mm. luxurious episodes to watch those three is perfect but you utterly but, but you chose fantastic yeah. you chose um, ghost light <laughs> i might no i was going to say is there a parallel jr is there a parallel in as much as that at that stage with the Troughton era they didn't know whether they were going to get another series or not so therefore, this was the last story. Same as Ghostlight, last story. So is there a kind of a, mm. not going out with a bang thing, but maybe using up all your creative juices yeah, in maybe. one little big bang? Um, I think, I'm not sure when they found out it was coming back, but I think what happened was that they were going to cancel it after the first John Pertwee series. Right, okay. Uh, but they, it obviously must have been under the knife at this point. Mm. But yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Mark, tell yes. us about your favourite new series story. 
Yeah, I chose Midnight. Oh. Which mm. kind of calls back to the, the classic series because you're looking at a very sort of condensed um, story. It's on one set, um, very atmospheric. The tension is, you can cut it with a knife. Incredible ensemble cast. Um, and Tennant acts his socks off. He does. I was quite relieved to see him go by the end of the specials, but Series 4, I know it gets a bit of stick from certain quarters. I think it's a really strong series, and I think that is one of the best new series episodes ever. It is, and you have a vulnerable Doctor in there. There's not many yeah. where you actually feel he's vulnerable, but there he's he's literally, he loses it, doesn't he? Everything about that episode is is brilliant. You know, the fact you could probably have that as a stage play because there's no monster in it. It's all sound, you know, it's playing with it and it's just all really good acting. I can't remember who the, the woman is, uh, again, the, her name. Um, Silvestri? Is that mm, something like Somebody, that, yeah. yeah. I mean, her acting and her eyes freaked my son out so much he just couldn't <laughs> sleep that night. So, you know, just on pure acting alone, mm. they managed to bring such terror out. And that and whole also, thing, such a simple thing, is like, synchronising yeah. their voices together. Absolutely brilliant. Must have been an absolute bugger to sound edit, but yeah, it must such have a been simple bugger idea. Bugger to act. Well, yeah, yeah quite. Yeah, exactly. But all the cast, uh, you know, all the actors rather, the, the characters, that's what I'm trying to say, um, you know, it's, it's great that they start losing trust with each other, mm. especially losing trust with the Doctor. And they're questioning him, saying, who are you yeah. anyway, coming in and taking trust? Who do you think you are? And he's lost all of his authority. Yeah, it's taken for granted in pretty much every other story. just wanders in and everyone just kind of goes with the yeah. flow. Mm. Whereas with this, this they're like, well, who the hell are you? Mm. It's a brilliantly timed episode. Mm. I mean, so many of the sort of new series episodes struggle to f- sort of get that 45 minutes. But this one, it, you know, sometimes the new series episodes have to take shortcuts on the characters. The, the characters seem to move from one state of mind to another rather too rapidly, but they need to to get the whole journey in in 45 minutes. But in this, that whole journey the characters go through feels natural from start to finish. Yeah. Yeah. Superb story. Mm-hmm. And you get to see David Troughton in it as well, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> Right, I suppose I'd better do my favourite last classic series story and I'll just name it. And look, I seem to be having a bit of an episode off this week, not doing a lot of talking. So I'll just say what it is and you guys can say how wonderful it is on my behalf, eh? Mm-hmm. It's the talents of Wang Chiang. <laughs> classic, classic of course story. it is. Ignore the rat. <laughs> <laughs> Again, that was another one. I'm, I'm glad you put that in there, actually, because um, if nobody had said it, it would have been criminal. Um, I had it up there ready to say next to Terror of the Zygons I couldn't make my mind up and uh, Talons you didn't of... choose Terror of the Zygons <laughs> I didn't, no 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 cause I went for, I, yeah exactly the reason why I chose Caesar Doom is because I watch it more than the other ones but Talons of Wang Chiang has got everything mm. in it that is just great it's got that it's Sherlock Holmes with science fiction combined Phantom of the Opera all that you know lit- literary stuff and the Doctor just totally on form. And Leela, we haven't mentioned Leela, how good mm. Leela was. And, yeah. uh, you know, the more I watch her, the better she becomes. I watched The Sunmakers for the first time in ages the other day, thinking, oh, here we go, Sunmakers, a bit difficult to get through. Absolutely bloody loved it. It was brilliant. And she was amazing in it. So her acting throughout Talons of Wing Chiang are just... And didn't she, she kind of fitted into the Victoria in a strange, really amazing way? 
well, it was the Pygmalion thing, wasn't it? It was perfect to place her. Mm. There's that, yeah, just uh, almost like a, um, it's almost like a Tarzan thing, isn't it? You know, with Tarzan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Perfect. Tarzan meets Pygmalion meets the Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, Talons of Wang Chang's got that thing going on again that I was talking about in Girl in the Fireplace, and it's also in City of Death. It's the sort of romance of the history and the science fiction mm. all mixed up together. I love hybrids. Mm. You know, I really like something where the flavours are all mixed. And Talons of Wang Chang's got this beautifully fantastic... It doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like it's set in the real Victorian mm. world, but it's set in a romantic imagination of the Victorian world. Well, it feels world. like a Sherlock Holmes novel. Yeah. But to, with a fantastic to degree, but air to it, yeah. All sorts of other things going on there yeah. as well. It's wonderful. Mm. Mm. Yeah, the only thing that's come close to replicating the authenticity or the BBC version of authenticity of Victorian era is the Crimson Aura. Um, you know, which was going to be one of your choices. It almost was. Almost. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> almost. And we could do another episode next week, and we could all pick, you know, different three, stories. four, five different choices, couldn't we? On each we one. Could, really, yeah. Oh, next week's episode is going to be something very different. But not too dissimilar. But anyway, um, Simon, <laughs> your least favourite story of all time. And this is something we've been building up to throughout the episode. And I've deliberately put this near the end because I just knew that once I opened the gate for you, yep. you'd go flying through there. And it is... Dick Ward and the Bollock Men. <laughs> Sorry. Is that going to get bleeped? No. Okay. Um, I just, I've tried, really tried to like this one. I can watch any of the McCoys. I don't particularly like that era. Um, and that's nothing to do with the cast. Um, I will say that up until the point they land on Earth, I don't mind it at all. I have no issues with it. I actually think Ken Dodd's pretty good in it. Um, you know, plays his part well. And you can kind of forget it's Ken Dodd, apart from the way he looks. Um... But from then on, I just find it all incredibly tedious, embarrassing, um, cheesy. Uh, the story is just awful. The effects, okay, they had bad, uh, you know, they didn't have the finances to do things as well as they wanted to. But that doesn't stop people having an imagination and using it to the best of their ability. And just the whole idea, I've said it before, the whole idea of... Um, a uh, Heidi High Camp getting invaded is just ridiculous, and I just find it very, very hard to can like. I, can I just say it's John Nathan Turner all over, isn't it? Is that, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go on, you carry on. No, no, no. I've, I've, I won't say any more because I don't like being negative. And in fact, if we were going to do this again next week, I would really struggle to find a story that I could say was the worst. I would really struggle, but for some reason, Delta has really, I've really latched onto it. I don't know if anyone's noticed. Have you uh, ever <laughs> seen Lilo and Stitch? I love Lilo and Stitch. It's the same story. No, it isn't. Almost. No, it isn't. Isn't it? No. What? Uh, an alien Lilo crash lands the best on movie Earth there is. and somebody is hunting that alien and it basically brings their war to Earth. Similar kind of thing, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, but it's it? well, well written and... Um, and there's rock and roll in it. There's rock and roll in it, yeah. And the rock and roll is the proper uh, Elvis rock and roll. Yeah. It's well drawn. The characters are believable. There's a brilliant relationship between uh, Lilo and her older sister. Yeah, and, and it's and about broken kind of a families. Holiday destination. Holiday to what? Hawaii. Hawaii. There's no one there on holiday. 
and you've got Elvis rock and roll b- being played through it. As you well. have, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's quite a similar story, except you haven't got the Doctor in it. And it's aliens and hunting aliens on Earth. And, and isn't it? there's not people walking around with stupid silver What, what about Gavrock? Gavrock's quite good, isn't he? <laughs> do you mean Garonwi? Do you know, uh, that's that's, fa- that's a fair point, Lee, you know, with it being like Lilo and Stitch, but I adore Lilo and Stitch. It is but, great. Because it's about the characters and it's about how well-rounded it is and there's nothing likeable in, in Delta and the Banim. I'm sorry, for me, personally. And I'm not saying it's bad, I just really dislike it. Just like I dislike coconut. It you, makes me want to vomit. <laughs> <laughs> you like the music, though, don't you? <laughs> don't, please. All right. That oh, I like just, the bit where he eats the meat. That's just twisting the knife now. Where he eats the meat. <laughs> Do you know the bit I mean? Where he's eating the meat. <laughs> I don't know. Do you know what? I think it's the production of it is a little heavy-handed, and some of the camera work is a bit of a struggle. And uh, okay, maybe a little bit of the performances here and there, but actually, I think most of the acting in this is absolutely wonderful. And I think there's a lightness in this story, and a kind of there's almost a delight in this story in being different. And I just think there's something bordering on wonderful about Delta and Abanamen, and it doesn't quite achieve it, but I love the fact that it tries. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think the idea is great. I think the idea is great. The execution is appalling. So I'm, no, I'm, not nah. all of it. Some of it's wonderful. <laughs> I think Don Henson's is... really good. Um, yeah. Ken Dodd. And... Ken Dodd. Oh, yeah, and the two American chaps are just great. And the guy oh. who plays Garonwi is brilliant. He's great. Some... I will say he is great. I agree. Some of the... The actual Delta story and the chap who plays uh, the guy who goes off with her, and I can't remember the names of either the character or the actor. Some of that's a bit heavy-handed and a bit bland. Oh, it's a bit bloody but that's... Children's Film Foundation, isn't it? It's just all Yeah, <laughs> but everything else that's going on around that is brilliant. Oh, no, you're right. Uh, it anyway, does, it, does it rolls like... me out the wrong way, and I, no. I'm not going to say it's, it's... I'm not going to shout anyone down and say, you know, you shouldn't like it. It just it rubs me out the wrong way, and it, I find it very difficult to enjoy. It's the closest thing to Dimensions in Time meets Why Don't You. Yeah. yeah. And on that note, mm. uh, look, we've <laughs> actually literally had an email while we've been on air. Sweet. So we'll do the last story, and then we'll get that email, and uh, we'll be out of here. Okay, Lee, oh, yeah. the very last one. I mm. saved you for last. Your favourite new series story is... The Empty Child... And the doctor dances. It um, it's perfection in writing, and acting, and and pace, and uh, great execution with atmosphere, and uh, the terror is perfect, and it's got a great happy ending which isn't trite and make you feel sick, um, like unlike the widowy wardrobe. It is. I can't possibly see anything wrong with it and actually it was very difficult because I, I was going to pick Rose because I do think Rose is one of the most important and most fantastic episodes to introduce our new Doctor and I remember watching it and all the feelings and emotions attached to it but the thing is the thing is I was waiting for the really Doctory episode to come to, to, to the fore and this was the best Doctory episode I think at that point and my son and I watched it and he was scared uh, and I was gripped, and it's got the best cliffhanger um, of the new series. I still think it's the best cliff- cliffhanger and resolution. 
uh, of the new series. I can't. I can wax lyrical about it all night, and I even like Jack Harness. I know some people aren't that happy with him, but I like him here better than I possibly like him a bit later on. I like the fact that he's a bit of a Jack the Lad, and you can't quite trust him. Um, oh, it's just great, and it's bombastic and audacious and ridiculous, but at the same time, it's cosy and snug and terrifying. Yeah, it's great. Good work, Stephen. I don't think any of us disagree, do we? No. No. no, no. I think that's pretty spot on. You're right about And who doesn't Jack, love Victor is... Meldry turning into a gas mask zombie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is <laughs> a lull, the... isn't there, about uh, with Captain Jack between there. he's. I think he's pretty good in this. Yeah. Um, and then there's a lull until um, Utopia. And he but there's some great comedy in this as well. Because mm. we all think of this as the spooky one, but actually in the second mm. half, mm. there's some great comedy. Mm-hmm. There is. And in fact, it's a, almost a screwball comedy at times. Oh, the yeah. way the characters are bantering backwards and forwards. The whole other. business with the sonic screwdriver. And... Yeah, but also the jealousy aspect as well, which is really mm. funny. You know, that the, the Christopher Eccleston's... You know, he's he's trying to. He remembers how to dance by the end of it, which we all know what that euphemism means. And um, you know, just all the way through, you've got the slight. Oh yes, I'm going to go with Mr. Spock here because he's got the tech, and you've got a screwdriver. All that is just perfect, perfectly balanced comedy from Stephen. And it's got some great, great moments. This is his room. Yeah. You know yeah. what a wonderful, wonderful moment. Mm-hmm. Um, next time we record. Uh, maybe we'll use a slightly different system because I think, unlike you two, Mark and I have been listening to pings and emails coming in and bits of music coming out of your computer all night, Simon. <laughs> what? Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> um, I promised the email that came in while we were on air, didn't I? You yes. Did. It's quite a long one, uh, but here it is. It's from Weird Bean. It says, Hi, Blue Boxers. Um, I've not pre-read this, so I'm reading this live, so I hope he doesn't go off into some weird sort of <laughs> no horrible and Jeff sex in, fantasy or something. He says, <laughs> he says, I've just had something of a blue box-a-thon catching up with the last three episodes, and they were great as ever. Though I was a little worried that JR had finally broken Lee's spirit in episode 73, but it was nice to have you back on form in episode 4, Lee. Thank you. 73 was the one where you were lying on the sofa watching the telly. (laughs) (laughs) He wasn't, speaking honestly, you weren't in a good place, were you? I was not. But I am now, so it's okay. Well, you were on Simon's sofa, weren't you? Yeah, his sofa's not that long. Are you saying that's not a good place? (laughs) Yeah, I had the pillow with my face at that point. Yeah. He says, I particularly enjoyed the Doctor 8 podcast and JR, your dream list of episodes for the series reboot that never was. But JR, I think you missed a trick. Hang on, did I read that right? Yes. He says, JR, I think you missed a trick. (laughs) Yes. He said, the ARC Robots of Death mashup could easily have had an RTD twist. The story is one of two parts. Part one, the strangers bringing the life-threatening historical disease on board. Part two, the rise of the one-eyed monsters. (laughs) Just to clarify, I mean the monoids. Mm. So why not do a budget-saving two stories at separate points in the series, a la The Long Game and Bad Wolf? Mm. Part one, the Doctor and companions arrive on board the Ark, bringing with them a 20th century disease. They cure this after ten standoffs and another disaster is averted. The ship is moving out of control. The Doctor fixes this, but warns the Ark passengers to keep an eye on it. The systems need maintenance. Part two, 
comes some adventures later. The Doctor and companions arrive back on the Ark amidst the robot uprising. The TARDIS team discover someone has been trying to manipulate the vessel all along, an evil ancient alien presence looking to dominate the human race, the Master. Having escaped the TARDIS on their last visit, post-bottle episode, cue an epic battle betwixt the Doctor and the Master for the fate of the entire human race. I don't know how you, well you guys remember my, those stories that I mm. brought up for mm-hmm. that, mm. but that would work absolutely perfectly, it wouldn't it? It does sound like a really good idea. And I like mm. the idea that the Master may possibly have complete control of this robot uprising army, which would be fantastic to see. We haven't seen a good robot uprising in Doctor Who of recent years, have we? Uh, I'm not going to war machines. Yeah, yeah I don't really count um, Nightmare Silver. <laughs> No, the Cybermen. Uh, I suppose you had the host in Voyage of the Damned, but not quite the same thing. Yeah, almost, yeah. Yeah, That's about as close as we've had, I think. Mm. Anyway, there's a little bit more on this email. He says, further on Doctor 8, though, is there any chance of an audios episode? JR, I know you wouldn't be keen on this, but perhaps listen to a couple of key stories and talk about them, similar to the New Adventures episode you're planning to do. Mm. Mm. It would be interesting to see how you each feel about Doctor 8 beyond the movie. Has Mm. Paul McGann improved? Are the adventures better? Are Are there more new series than old? Oh, no, are they more new series than old, sorry? Or are they bogged down in over-continuity? Are they a doctor too far? Anyhow, that's enough blather from me, so toodaloo, chaps, and keep up the good work from Weird Bean. There's a PS, but before we go to the PS, we'll do that, shan't we? We'll do an audios episode. Yeah, we should do. I'll do the pescatons. (laughs) Well, no, it has to be Big Finish, you twit. But we'll each, say, listen to maybe... We'll each listen to maybe two or three stories. Yeah. And we've all heard one or two already, That's right? Such yeah. a least. huge, huge catalogue to choose from. Yeah, but let's let's just do it. Let's yeah. plan around all listening to one story mm-hmm. that all four of us listen to, and maybe each of us listen to a couple of other different ones as well, mm. yeah. and come back. Uh, we'll do the books one first, so we'll perhaps do this in about maybe half a dozen episodes' time, but mm-hmm. let's do it. Okay. Okay. Right, the P.S. He says, I did finally pick up the JNT book, and Mark and J.R., you are right. It is a great read. Mm. Really a page-turner in the most positive sense. Yeah. When I picked it up, I could not put it down. Mrs. Bean, he says, barely had a word out of me for three days. I think she quite enjoyed the peace and quiet. <laughs> <laughs> and P.P.S. Get well soon, Mark. The boxers are better with all four of you there. Oh, uh, bless him. He's wrong, but ah. Uh... Shut up. I know. <laughs> yeah, but he's only wrong insofar as we're better when you're not here, Lee. Um, right. Uh, <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, and the, the email that I was saving till last, it, well, the, this came in from Andrew Moore, who also is a first-time emailer, I think. He says, love the podcast. Thanks for being the most approachable and fun show out there. I am a fan who lapsed midway through number six and have forgotten more than I care to remember. Thanks for helping me remember and by catching up, making my walk to work fly by. Oh, no oh, problem. Thank you. Thank you very oh. much. That's, really that's nice very lovely. Yes. And I thought I'd save that one to last so we could go out on a positive note. <laughs> Even though we've been mostly positive all night, yeah. apart from about Delta and the Bannermen. Yeah. Ah, anyway. You can sell right, on the second um, twisted, can't you? <laughs> right, next week, like I say, something entirely different that doesn't involve any of you three. I'm giving you all the week off. You're all happy about that, right? Yeah. Yes. Right. <laughs> not work. really, but <laughs> actually, I've got something that I've had planned for a little while and it's happening next week, so I'm not going to spoil what it is. But Are you going to do like an hour long, two minute Time Lord? 
Does that well, mean just, just do, me? You just do a, a monologue for 60 minutes. Isn't that what I usually do? That's why Pretty it's much, been yeah. a little different. Yeah, okay. Mm. No, it's I not going to be that. I think I'd rather see him do a monoid for 60 minutes. Mm. Okay. <laughs> You'd like to see me do a monoid? <laughs> anyway, what were you saying? Sorry. Stick a ping pong ball in your mouth. <laughs> that, right, about but the week... The theme from Tony Fools and Horses, then. Stick a ping pong but, ball in your mouth. But the week after will be our season six episode, so we'll all resume for that. I'm really looking forward to see what happened on the old uh, voting there. We must have had umpteen votes on the old Facebook page. Uh, Yeah, I think, including our votes as well. We've had something like 15, maybe, perhaps even more. Yeah, I've missed that. Maybe 20. Yeah. Oh, well. Well, the voting's not finished yet, as far as we're concerned, but I'm not sure how far in advance... um, this podcast gonna go out mm. um let me just quickly check so i might as well do this before we go off can because... i can i just say what surprised me um well it hasn't surprised me because we don't necessarily state the obvious is we haven't mentioned blink this whole episode wow as a favorite episode when you consider that's kind of up there on a pedestal isn't it and it really is i think still yeah, but it is it has yeah, I think it, it speaks is. volumes of the strength of the, the programme that you've got that many good episodes to choose mm. from. Mm. Mm. Uh, look, we'll be recording our season six episode roughly the first week of October. So if uh, people listening to this podcast haven't voted on season six and would like to, and they're hearing this in time, I'm not sure exactly what the cutoff will be, but it will probably be something like the maybe 6th or 7th of October. Mm-hmm. So if the voting's still open, I'll make I'll make sure that when you get to the thread on the Facebook page, it says that the voting's still open or it doesn't say that it's closed yet. Mm-hmm. I'll put a note on there when the voting's closed. But if you go to our Facebook page, which is literally just Blue Box Podcast on Facebook, there is a thread for voting on Season 6. And if you'd like to take part in the voting, there it is. Please do it. And of course, if anybody wants to email, we're just blueboxpodcast at yahoo.co.uk. So I'm on Google Plus. Oh, we are now as well. Yeah. I don't know anything about Google Plus, and I've not seen this, but Mark's apparently been doing amazing things that you oh, can't yeah. do on Facebook. Probably. Well, I wouldn't go that far. But... <laughs> right. Uh, so for this week, then, I was JR. I was Lee. I was Mark. And I was Simon. And we'll speak again soon. Yeah.